Welcome to the Space Bites Podcast, your weekly source for all things space. My name is Chris Colvin, and I'm a citizen scientist, NASA Solar System Ambassador, and AFSO Ambassador. Here at Space Bites, you'll find the most up-to-date space news about discoveries, NASA missions, and how you can get involved. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Space Bites Podcast, Episode 1, the James Webb Space Telescope and NASA Solar Dynamics Observatory. Today we're going to go ahead and start off with the uh, James Webb Space Telescope. So I know many of you are like, ugh, I'm tired of hearing about this thing. Uh, There have been so many delays, so many issues from uh, failing vibration tests all the way up to just constant uh, launch date delays and everything like that. So... Uh, I do have some more information on that for you today, and uh, despite uh, COVID, so work has been continuing on the James Webb Space Telescope. With that being said, uh, it's been reduced uh, just to make sure that uh, social distancing guidelines are being adhered to. Uh, We're not going to really go into that. We don't want to go off topic there, but uh, that's what's kind of slowing it down right now. Uh, There is a new launch date as of right now. Uh, We're looking at October 31st, 2021. So that is a uh, that's a bump from that's bump to the right from uh, March of 2021. Uh, so it'll launch on an uh, ESA Ariane 5 rocket and travel for an entire month to uh, a total distance of 1.5 million kilometers to the second Lagrange point, uh, also known as uh, L2. It'll take about six months to get the entire observatory up and running, uh, and that's also barring any issues once it's up in space. Uh, some early mission targets for the James Webb Space Telescope are going to be the uh, deep fields north and south, uh, which is actually really cool just to see you know, what, what we've looked at with Hubble before, how much uh, more detail we're going to be able to get with the uh, James Webb scope. Uh, something I'm personally really excited about is uh, the, the opportunity to look at exoplanets with a uh, scope this size. So we're going to be looking at WASP-79b and 43b, also TRAPPIST-1b and 1e. So uh, I'm particularly looking forward to those. Uh, As for planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and then uh, one of its moons, Triton, is also going to be on the early observe list. So there are also many more of these. I'm not going to go through the entire list right now just because I'd be sitting here for a half hour just giving you a list of all all the targets. So... The reason why the James Webb Space Telescope is has been delayed so much is just due to the amount of money, uh, budget overruns, stuff like that. But NASA is committed to making sure that uh, you know this telescope does launch, even though it's been you know by the time it does launch, if it launches in October, uh, you know we'll be looking at almost a decade of launch delays and issues. But uh, you know NASA remains committed to making sure it gets launched, and um, and and the European Space Agency is also ready whenever uh, whenever the James Webb Space Telescope is. So next up, uh, something else that's really cool that I want to talk about today is the Solar Dynamics Observatory from NASA. And a lot of people are like, why do we still care about the sun? The sun is literally what keeps us alive, uh, and you know it has impacts on the Earth. Uh, impacts on our satellites and it can also have impacts on people here on the ground so uh, just uh, I don't know if if many people know but I mean the sun whenever there's a like a solar flare it's even pointed remotely in our direction 
uh, we do have to be concerned about uh, the, the solar flares and the solar wind impacting our satellite operations, whether that is for, you know, communications or if it's for, you know, I mean, I guess Internet falls under communications. Uh, it's of particular interest to the military uh, for military operations. But, uh, you know, if those, so the satellites need to know when they need to go into like a safer degraded mode so they don't get uh, their circuits overloaded essentially and burn themselves out. Uh, so as of right now, the Solar Dynamics Observatory has uh, taken over 400 million images of our sun total in the last 10 years. When you think about it, that's absolutely incredible. This is also... The Solar Dynamic Observatory is also kind of uh, unique compared to many uh, other NASA missions because of the 24-7 downlink that it has. There has never been a delay uh, in that uh, downlink, which is very unique because most satellites don't talk continuously with a ground station. Excuse me, a ground station on Earth. Um, and the, the data rate as well. The data rate is also a very, very high transfer rate in comparison to many. Uh, I mean, if you compare it to even the Voyager, you're talking like kilobits of data and not, you know, being able to transfer entire images uh, down to Earth in high resolution and many different wavelengths and uh, band passes, stuff like that. Um, so it's also nearing the end of a second extended mission. Uh, the mission has been extended twice now, and they're expecting it to be renewed uh, through 2024. So uh, I don't have the exact statistic off the top of my head for uh, how much it costs initially. But the cool thing is, is that every time these missions get extended, it's saving the taxpayers money. And, you know, it's we're, we're using every penny and every dollar uh, that we have, and we're stretching it as far as it can possibly go. Uh, to make sure that, you know, we're getting the best bang for our buck, essentially, and making sure that we can keep an eye on everything that's been going on with the sun. Um, so it's also seen a lot of new things in its uh, last 10 years. Uh, solar, uh, sorry, sun grazing comets are one of them. Uh, I know uh, we only recently got very lucky with, uh, with Neowise uh, and being able, to, um, being able to observe that with our naked eye. Unfortunately, for those of you that missed it, uh, it'll be about 6,800 years before it comes back around. So let's go ahead and cross our fingers for another uh, another close pass from a comet that's going to be naked eye. Uh, other than that, though, that uh, we've seen, uh, you know, long-lived flares. These are also called late-phase flares. And what these do, these are just, uh, essentially, they're just longer-lasting than a traditional one. And what that does, that kind of teaches us a little bit more about the uh, the way the sun works, the sun's magnetic fields, and uh, just things along those lines. We don't want to go too in-depth. Uh, I'll provide some links and uh, stuff at the end of the podcast here that uh, if you're interested in digging a little bit more in-depth, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to give those to you. And then finally, if you thought tornadoes here on Earth were terrifying, uh, the, the SDO has also uh, found solar tornadoes and observed solar tornadoes, which, again, kind of shows us a little bit more about the magnetic field and how that works. Uh, one website that pops up off the top of my head is uh, helioviewer.org and, uh, and also just a quick little like disclaimer I'm not being sponsored by them nothing like that uh, it's it's I'm pretty sure it's run by uh, the SDO and you can actually go there and you can manipulate the images on your own you can take a look and see what the sun looks like within the last you know few minutes so if that's something you're in, uh, interested in helioviewer.org 
And then, uh, I didn't mention this at the beginning of the video or uh, in the title, but uh, something that I, I do mention actually uh, is that, uh, so I am an AVSO ambassador. It is the American Association of Variable Star Observers. Uh, it's a great organization. I, I will, <laughs> and I'm not getting paid by them, but with that being said, it's an amazing organization. You, there is so much you can participate in and you can actually contribute to science and things that are being used. For those of you who don't have a telescope or, you know, you're just like, man, I, you know, I don't know how to get into this kind of stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. The AAVSO is a great starting point, especially if you're interested in, uh, in stellar astronomy. Uh, it's, it's incredible how much you can contribute as a, just a citizen scientist. Uh, a big one that's coming up, uh, there's actually a class they have coming up. And because of COVID this year, all of their, uh, all of their uh, courses and uh, seminars are free. Uh, so the one that's coming up, I've actually been uh, helping work on this one a little bit uh, since about halfway through uh, the, the project. But uh, they are working on data mining uh, TESS light curves. So uh, TESS is a satellite that is actually observing stars and taking images and it's being, uh, its brightness is being monitored essentially. And what happens is that you see uh, occasional dips in brightness. So what you're seeing or what, what's being observed when these dips in brightness occur is generally speaking, uh, you know, after further investigation, there are what are called exoplanets. Uh, I mentioned those earlier when talking about the uh, James Webb Space Telescope. So what happens when we are in front of these or once these uh, exoplanets cross in front of their stars, it actually causes a dip in the light curve. Uh, but the AAVSO isn't necessarily uh, directly interested in uh, the, the light curves and the exoplanets because there are plenty of other citizen science projects out there that are dedicated to uh, finding exoplanets. So uh, just one off the top of my head, uh, it's a Zooniverse project and that's called, I think it's called Planet Hunters right now. Uh, the previous two were for Kepler, uh, the Kepler, Kepler and K2 missions. So what the, what the goal of the data mining program uh, for these test light curves from the AAVSO is, is to go through these and search for variable stars. So what a variable star is, and there are hundreds of types, like, and, and there are still new types being discovered, you know, yearly. Uh, and it's really, really interesting because you have some that vary as quick, you know, and their brightness, you know, in, in very, very small amounts across a couple of minutes or even, you know, 10, 20, 10, 20 minutes. Uh, and then there's others that take 550, 600 days is, and there's everything in between. It's, it's incredible how many different types of, you know, variable stars there are. So what the, what what analyzing the light curves from TESS is going to do is going to show us that we actually are still going to be discovering more variables, new variables that uh, are, you know, that are not known to us right now just because of very, very minute changes that are not uh, most, that most instruments we have right now, uh, and especially instruments that amateurs have, are probably not going to discover these. So it's, it's really, really imperative that we actually take this data and use it because the, the program managers for, uh, for the Zooniverse project and, the, uh, and for even for TESS as a whole have already said that 
in no in no uncertain terms that they don't really care about variable star data. That's not the goal of their mission. But if other people want to uh, take the reins on it and search through their data, they're more than happy to uh, let us do that. So, if that's uh, you know jumping into a little bit too far for you to start off. You can actually start off with uh, a binocular program. So if you have a pair of binoculars around your house, I'm not saying you need a $1,000 pair of, you know, Zeiss binoculars or anything like that, but, you know, anything, if you have like a $50 pair of Bushnells from, you know, Walmart, look up at the sky with them. You will be shocked at how much you can see. Uh, but this binocular program specifically outlines a bunch of stars that you can actually go through and uh, compare in your binocular. So you have stars that are essentially fixed. They don't vary in brightness. Then you have other ones that we were talking about earlier, the variables, that do vary in brightness. So what you do, you have a paper chart in front of you, and you can report. So you look at the, the comparison stars, and you say, okay, this one, the comparison star, the fixed star, is magnitude 3 or 4. Then you look at the other one and see that it's fainter. You're like, okay, if it's more faint, you're going to be like, all right, so it's probably you know, magnitude 5, 5.5, somewhere in there. Uh, so, and there, I want to say, I can't remember off the top of my head, there's probably 90 some odd objects for uh, the binocular program. And uh, you can start your own observing program right away through them. You don't have to be a paid member at all. You can use these uh, for free. There are additional benefits to being a paid member, but again, that's not the, not the goal of the AAVSO. It's just to get people involved in astronomy and getting, getting used to doing that. And then, um, and getting, sorry, getting used to, uh, you know, submitting their data and submitting their findings and stuff like that. Because when you submit these, the, these measurements of these stars may not be extremely important now, but 50 years from now, 60, 70 years from now, when these variables start acting up, um, we can go back and look at and see, you know, hey, this is where, you know, it was doing this at this point in time. So you, you may have, you know, you never know whatever night you're observing, you may observe a completely new phenomenon that's never been seen before. So it's really cool. And then finally, uh, touching uh, on this last part for the VSO, uh, there are some actually much more in-depth studies you can do through them as well. Uh, they It's incredible the amount of work you can do. So if, if you are a paid member, uh, and I think... For a student, it's like $29, and then I want to say for a full for a full membership, if you're not a student or on a limited income, uh, I want to say it's like 65 or 69 I should really have these numbers in front of me right now, but I don't, so we're going to go with it. Um, but you can get into spectroscopy, which means you can actually break down, like you have a special telescope, and you can break down um, the, the actual like elements that are in that star and figure out uh you know more about it and that's actually particular particularly important when uh when a supernova occurs the earlier you can get a uh a spectroscopy reading on there um you can you just want as much data essentially without going too much into the weeds that's not really the point of this podcast but without going too much into the weeds the more data you can get uh as close to the supernova discovery as possible that is absolutely critical to watching the uh, watching the evolution of the supernova or even the nova the galactic nova over the next uh, you know couple of weeks three weeks up to a month uh, outside of a month in most cases they kind of fade back into uh, in, into nothing and in some cases they just have a like a bright little spot there that's uh, still gonna glow for a little while and then eventually fade away 
Uh, on top of that, uh, like I was saying before, if you do end up uh, joining the uh, AAVSL, you'll have access to an entire array of telescopes all over the world, both northern and southern hemisphere, completely free of charge. So some of you may be using telescopes online right now that, you know, pay, you know, you have to pay a monthly fee and, you know, you only get a certain amount of time, you know, five minute increments, or if you're paying, you know, in some cases you're paying by the minute. And the, the amazing part about uh, the, this telescope, essentially array that's put up around the entire world is that you can observe any target at any point in time, which the only thing you have to do and you know there's i guess there is a little bit of a catch to that and you're like oh come on like this is that's ridiculous no but what's really cool is that you only have to it's this it's like essentially you're writing a proposal but it's not like a super in-depth proposal you're pretty much writing why this star that you want to observe with uh any of the uh, telescopes on their network uh why it's important why you can't do it on another website or why you can't do it um, you know on your own XYZ and essentially if you can prove that there's going to be some sort of scientific value that you're going to get out of it and uh, that you know you can actually take these results and take these images uh, from the photometry and the different filters and all this other stuff you know you can you can end up turning around and reporting these these stars to the AVSO and again, it'll all just be included in a database to where, you know, if you see something cool in the future, then they can look back into the past and be like, hey, look, this is what's going on over here. And uh, yeah, it's incredible how much, like the most recent ones that, uh, you know, Beetlejuice, I, th I think everybody saw that in the news. Everybody was freaking out because we thought Beetlejuice was going to go supernova. Um, but unfortunately at this time it didn't, uh, <laughs> all of us were crossing our fingers and staring at it, but for, uh, for lack of a better term, it ended up being uh, like a star burp or, you know, a star burp, a star fart, uh, depending on which side it comes out. But, uh, yeah, so it was, it's actually really interesting because it ended up just being a giant gas cloud that was expelled from the star. And once it got uh, far enough away and it wasn't necessarily in the way anymore, it went back to its uh, general, like its usual brightness. Um, but having observed it myself and with my own eye in my own backyard, like the, it's the, and so for those of you who don't know, Beetlejuice is the bright red star uh, in the, uh, essentially the armpit of Orion. Uh, so if you're ever outside at night in, in the winter months in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, for those up in uh, the United States and Canada, uh, you will always see a bright red star and like the like the three stars that uh, make up the belt. And if you look up and left from those three stars, you'll see a bright, bright red star. And that uh, that bright red star is Betelgeuse. So fun fact of the night for you there. And uh, also on top of that, there I mean, there are so, so many other projects and stuff you can get involved with at the AVSO. Uh, it's, it's literally endless. Anything from... Uh, young stellar objects, like literally observing stars that are still in their infancy and still have uh, what are called protoplanetary disks around them that uh, cause variations in brightness. So instead of being exoplanets, it's giant rocks and dust and ice that are orbiting these stars that may eventually, over the course of you know millions and billions of years, uh, you know, collide and coalesce and become planets and moons and whatever else. So it's really cool to be able to observe these. 
Um, and then you can observe nova and supernova, whether, you know, galactic or any other type. It's, it's truly incredible. You can sign up for uh, alert notices right away, and you will get an alert the second that, you know, anybody reports one. Uh, the AVSO finds out and they can request uh, specific, you know, observations. If it's bright enough to be seen through your own telescope with your naked eye, you can go ahead and report that. And then if you're a little bit more advanced and you have uh, the, you know, the correct filters, the uh, photometric filters, uh, you can actually, you know, report in the, you know, standard, uh, you know, RC and all the other, like red, green, blue, all those other ones. So... That's about all I have for tonight, and thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. This has been great. Uh, this is my first podcast, so any feedback, uh, let's say constructive feedback or constructive criticisms, criticisms, go ahead and say that I can't talk because that's happened a couple times. Uh, but honestly, I would really appreciate any feedback. Thank you so much, and let me know of any topics you guys want to hear about, anything in space that you're interested in. Uh, I'm going to be focusing more on the astronomy side and uh, and NASA missions and stuff and how you can get involved. Uh, there are plenty of other channels if you're looking for, for rocket updates and uh, SpaceX, the Falcon 9, Falcon Heavy, uh, Starship, all that stuff. There are so many other uh, channels out there that I feel like are already doing such an excellent job. Um, you know, shout out to Everyday Astronaut, all those guys. It, they're they're doing an amazing job, and I, I definitely go check them out. So, thank you again so much for your time tonight, and uh, or today, whatever time you're listening to this. And uh, I hope to see you guys at episode two. Take it easy.